Good morning, family. Hope everybody's doing all right today. Hope you're doing good. Come on now. Four of you. Seven of you. Seven of you are doing good today. Come on. If you're thankful to be in God's house today, let's make some noise for Jesus again. Wasn't worship good this morning? Man. I hope you guys like that new song as much as I do. And if you don't, I'm sorry, because you're going to hear it a lot. But uh, y'all want to talk college football? <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, man. Whew. Well, at least you got, uh, at least you got Hogs bass base. Track and field, baby. Yeah. All day long. Oh, my gosh. Crazy. All right. If you have your Bibles, Bible apps, however you want to get into the word today. We've got some of the scripture on your notes, but I want you to go to Jonah. Jonah chapter one. And today I want to talk about what happens when we run away from God. I want to survey the room. How many of you, when you were a young child, not when you were a teenager, but when you were little, how many of you ran away from home? Anybody run away from home? Where are all my brave people at? Come on now. Okay. All right. Now, how many of you, you would be honest to say it didn't last more than like an hour before you <laughs> came on back? Okay. Yeah. Uh, I developed, I developed the, the desire to run away at a very young age. It wasn't because of anything necessarily negative that was happening in my house. I probably watched a movie, some kid running away, and I was like, man, that looks like fun. I should try that out sometime. And first time I ran away, I was about three years old. I ran away an entire two blocks to a nearby laundromat. And uh, I, I stole four quarters from my mom's purse before I left because uh, I decided that I was just going to spend the rest of my life playing Joust. How many of you remember Joust, the old arcade game? Yeah, well, I was too little really to even reach it, so I had to get a bench. So I ran over to the laundromat. It had some arcade games in there, so I went in there and, and uh, spent my four quarters. That took about three minutes. Um, and then I started realizing, like, well, I didn't really have a plan much beyond this point, and, and eventually... Uh, a lady uh, found me hiding in one of the dryers and turned me into my parents. And so uh, the next, the second time that I ran away, I felt like I had a very legitimate concern um, in my home and with my parents and the way that they were treating me. Um, specifically, we were at the grocery store and I had asked my mom to buy me some Lay's potato chips and she refused. I know, Right. And so, uh, so I remember just being really frustrated about the whole idea that when I asked my mom for something as simple as lace potato chips, that uh, she wouldn't give them to me. So it became clear to me at that point that I would never be able to be happy at home. And so, uh, so I, I, I had this plan, like this whole idea, this whole plan of, of packing up. And so I, did, I got a backpack. I got my, my Star Wars lunch pail. You know what I'm talking about? Okay, I got my Star Wars lunch pail. And I put like a, a banana in there. And, um, and then I got some of my clothes and I got some of my toys. And I remember thinking like, in my head, this whole idea was I was just going to go to my mom and be like, Mom, I can't live here anymore. It's about the chips. And, and that somehow she was just going to be moved in her heart. Like, oh, no, no, you can't, you can't leave. You're my favorite son, my, my favorite begotten son. Like, get all biblical with me and stuff. And, 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 and just beg me to stay and that she would buy me like a year's supply of lace potato chips. And we'd move on from there. But, but th- this is what happened. I, I got all ready and I went to my mom. She was in the kitchen and, and she was doing dishes. And I remember walking up and I said, Mom, I'm... I'm leaving. I can't live here anymore. 
And she had a look of relief on her face, like. <laughs> and she's like, oh, really? Well, what are you taking? Well, I've got, I got my backpack. And she's like, oh, no, you can't take that. We bought that. She's like, let me get you a, let, let me get you another bag. And she went in and got a King Supers paper bag and brought it back out to me and put my stuff in that. She's like, you live out of this. And she's like, what else you got in there? I said, we got some toys. She's like, oh, you didn't buy those. You leave those here. We might have some other kids want to play with those toys. I'm like, this is not going the way I wanted this to go. <laughs> this is going poorly for me. And uh, and I and I and then <laughs> and then I took my my paper bag and. And then I headed out. I was living in, we were living in a little town called West Cliff, Colorado at the time. And uh, at the base of the Sanger de Christus, there, there was this road that went just straight up the mountainside. And my, my thought was, like, well, I'm, there's something beyond those mountains for me. And I started walking. And I had to have walked 100 yards probably from the house before I realized nobody's coming to stop me or get me. And so I just went back and my mom. She didn't say another word about it. I'm like, okay, running away is stupid. And just stayed home. You have to know this. If you ever choose to run away from God, He will let you. Because He gives you free will. He'll let you run away. But you also have to know this. He will chase you. He'll let you run away. uh, But He will also chase you. He'll come after you. So today I want to talk about Jonah. Whether you've been in church or not, you've heard of this story of Jonah. The synopsis of it is this, this minor prophet, God comes in and says, Hey, I need you to go to Nineveh, the city, and I need you to tell them, prophesy to them that they're wicked and they need to turn away from their city and come back to me because if they don't, in 40 days I'm going to destroy that place. And, and Jonah uh, decides he doesn't want to do that. So he, he goes and gets on a boat and starts heading in the opposite direction where he was supposed to go. A storm hits, and he understands that the storm is there because he's being disobedient to God. And so he tells everybody on the boat, hey, you've got to throw me over or everybody's going to die. They throw him over. He gets swallowed up by a what? Large fish. Excuse me. You guys need to get your Bible right, okay? I'm just joking. We don't know if it's a whale or a fish. Probably a whale. But uh, gets, gets swallowed up by this large water-living creature. And, and then uh, eventually gets his heart right. And, and the, the fish or whale spits him up on the shoreline right by Nineveh. Goes in the city. And the rest of the story is the whole city repents. And then he goes out, feels sorry for himself. And a worm eats a tree that's creating shade for him. And he just kind of fades into the distance grumpy because his shade went away. So, uh, so that's kind of the synopsis of the story. But the question is, why didn't he want to go to Nineveh? Like, why didn't he want to go to Nineveh? Because sometimes we read these stories, we don't really understand the context of these places. Well, Nineveh, at that time, it was a major city in, a, in an area called Assyria. And the Assyrians were like the, the ISIS of that time. They were terrorists. Um, they were a brutal, brutal, brutal people. And uh, God's people hated them because anytime they had captured any of the Israelites, they would torture them. Um, some of the things that they did to these people, like we can't talk about them, everybody under 13 and have to leave the room because it, it was just horrible, horrible stuff. And they were just like the best sinners out there. Uh, they just kind of lived life any way they wanted to. They didn't care uh, about anything really moral at all. They kind of had their own moral compass and and, and did uh, 
anything that they wanted to do, uh, lived any way they wanted to live. The other thing about them is they were brilliant. They actually developed the first working lock and key. They developed paved roads. One of the first people groups to use iron in battle, to, to shape iron, to make weapons. Uh, so they were, they were brilliant people, but because of their, their brutal, and because they were so brutal to God's people, Jonah's like, no, I don't want... He's probably scared, but he also doesn't want to give them a chance to have any amount of grace. So when God shows up and says... I'm going to destroy the city of Nineveh in 40 days. Jonah's probably like, I'm going to pull up a long chair. This is going to be a great show to watch. Like, I can't wait. These people deserve to die. And so he decides that he's going to go away from them. Now, if you don't understand what Nineveh was in the full context, you'll miss God's heart. And I think that happens a lot of times when we read through the scripture. Different times that Jesus would go to different cities, like Capernaum. We, we, we read that he went to Capernaum and he, and he, and he healed everybody there and, and people got saved in that place. But if you don't understand, the Capernaum was like a Sodom and Gomorrah version of a city in that area. You don't understand that God's heart was to go for the whosoever that was out there. And you may not realize that and see that this is just one more example of God desiring for people to be restored to him no matter how big of a sinner they were. And so when we get into this story, a lot of people, a lot of cynics say this story is evidence of just how much the the Bible isn't true because there's no way that a person could survive in a well for three days. Well, just so you know, there are three different cases in recorded history of people being swallowed by, by a whale and surviving. Okay, you can look it up. It's mostly on conspiracy sites and stuff like that, but, but you can look it up and there are, there are people that this has happened with. Okay, this one time this teacher was mocking this story in this class. So this sweet little girl is like, teacher, look, when, when I get to heaven, I'm gonna ask Jonah. I'm gonna ask Jonah if he really got swallowed by a whale. And the teacher just sarcastically remarked, well, what if Jonah isn't in heaven? And the little girl paused for a second. She said, well, then you can ask him. <laughs> Get you some of that. How many know if it's in the Bible, it's true? Because there's one thing that God can't do, God can't lie. And that includes all forms of lying, including exaggeration. So whether or not we can bend our simple minds around it or not, this happened. But why did it happen? Because this is a story of God's plan and purpose for Jonah. It's also a picture and a story of God's desire to rescue, to pursue people that are lost and drowning in their own sin and lifestyles. It's also a picture of what happens when we run away from God, when we decide to do our own thing. So I think there's a couple of principles that we can see in the story. God does have a plan for everyone, every single person. There is a plan. There is a plan. There's a plan for your life. Whether you see it or not, whether you realize it or not, God has a plan for you. And it's the only way that you're going to find fulfillment in life. It's walking in that plan. God has a plan for everyone. God has a deep love for people, no matter what their sin is. And then when we can learn what happens when we run from God. So the first thing is this. When you run from God, the trajectory of your life changes. The trajectory of your life changes. Now, this is whether you realize it or not. 
the trajectory of your life changes when you decide that you're going to do your own thing and go away from God. It doesn't matter how great everything looks like on your social media accounts. You can still be getting the greatest selfies out there. But if you start running away from God, your life is declining whether you see it or not. Let's look at this scripture, this text. I'm going to be looking at the New King James Version, chapter 1. Verse 1, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish, God bless you, from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare. You can highlight that. We'll come back to it. He paid the fare, went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence, from the presence of the Lord. Now, if you look at verse 3, it says he went down to Joppa. That verse, that word, depending on what translation, it is used multiple times within those first few verses. He went down to Joppa, down into a boat, to go down to Tarshish. There's a lot of going down. And that's not just because of the direction that he was heading. It's also an indication of where his life is about to go. Because everything starts going down from there. And the New American translation says he went down to Joppa, down into a boat. He ends up down in the water, down in the belly of a well. So this is written like this because if you're going to live a life running away from God, you're going to have to accept the fact that your life is going to be an overall decline and a downward spiral for the rest of your life. Your life will eventually, even if it doesn't seem like it or feel like it at this point, your life is going to wind up in the toilet wasted if you decide to continue to run away from God. And a lot of times we may feel like everything's going good. I'm actually enjoying life. Well, even the word says that sin is pleasurable for a season. Like you, you'll, you'll have a lot of fun for a short time. But eventually it does catch up with you. So here's a caution anyone that's out there that might be running. Let me ask you this. How many of you know somebody right now that's running away from God? You know somebody right now, they're running away from God. Man. If the Holy Spirit can't get a hold of them and get their attention, you're going to see their life go in a general direction of down, in decline. It says this in verse 4, Suddenly the Lord flung a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened them, or threatened to send them, where? Down. <laughs> Down to the bottom. Let me ask you this. How many, um, how many of you say that you would be completely comfortable facing life today separated from God? I mean, could, I don't understand how anybody does it. Like how anybody can have relationships, how anybody can have anything apart from the presence of God. It's in different experiences that you face these storms that if you're not connected to God, I don't know how you do anything, how you make it. I think about the storms that I've faced in my life. And I just guarantee you, if I was separated from God, I would not be standing before you today. Coming from a broken home, living homeless for five years, living out of a bag, going to several different schools, 
the amount of, of learning disabilities I had to struggle through, just the storms of life, like, I can't imagine trying to do those things. And I'm not saying that I was always in the center of God's will and in his presence. But he was always pursuing me and I just had to recognize that and then I knew in the midst of the storm he was there. I remember when Cody and I first moved to Arkansas, there was a few things I feel like that were withheld from us, like as far as information. (laughs) Moving from Colorado to Arkansas, like there's some things that people didn't tell us. Like we didn't know that much about, like, like we knew where tornadoes typically exist, but we didn't know that they, they decided to come and hang out in Arkansas too. And so I remember like the first time Cody and I were sitting, we we're at this, uh, this friend's house, we're, we're staying in an apartment, we still hadn't had a place to stay yet. And, and we're already at this point, like we're kind of struggling with some different dynamics with the ministry we're working in. And so there are already some questions about, man, did we make a big dis- mistake? And like right at the tail end of one of those conversations of like, just trying to pray through and get faith that God had called us. And, the, and like the, the warning symbols and every, the sirens start coming on. We're like, What's, what, is, what, are, what is that? What is going on? Like the neighbors have some really weird party tricks and stuff. Like, so we turn on the TV and, there, in the, and you guys know what this looks like. You got like the one screen where it's just red. It's just a lot of swirling redness. And every weatherman, it doesn't matter who they are, they've got their sleeves rolled up over their, their, their elbows because that's when you know it's serious, people. <laughs> Storm's coming, big one. Oh, get ready to sweat. And I started hearing terms like supercell. <laughs> the elephant hook. What el- this could be an F3. Like, I've gotten an F before. I didn't know there were degrees of Fs. <laughs> and, and, and so before you know it, it's like, like this thing, and, and, and there's a supercell. It's coming over Oklahoma because those people start all that stuff out there. And, and, uh, and, and so it's coming out of Oklahoma, and it's just starting to come across the state of Arkansas. And Cody and I are like, is this God telling us we did make a mistake to move? <laughs> But I know this, I know that when those storms both live literally and figuratively come, you have better be centered in the will of God. You better be centered in his word. You better be centered in community. You better have his presence around you. Otherwise, when destruction comes, what do you have left? Because storms are going to come. And not every storm comes from God. Sometimes, usually, for the majority of us, it's our own stupid decisions that cause storms to come. You're going to need the presence of God around you. Notice how Jonah, his separation from God, it actually begins to increase. Because some of the geometry with this... It would be like God coming to me and saying, I want you to go to Knoxville. And instead, I hitch a ride to Bogota, Colombia. Because these are in complete different directions. To go to Nineveh, it was 500, a little over 550 miles northeast of where Jonah was. He hops on a boat going to Tarshish, which is 
2,500 miles southwest of there. So he is heading in the complete opposite direction of where God would want him to go. So instead of having to travel 550 miles in obedience, he's going to wind up having to cover 3,000 miles out of disobedience. And I can see this happening in our lives too. One day you're going to wake up and you're going to feel like you're 1,000 miles away from God's presence, although his presence is readily available to you right there in that moment. But you're going to feel a long ways away from him because the consequences of running from God always will feel like it's creating a very difficult road back. The consequences can be a difficult road. Even if you get back in the presence of God immediately, it doesn't mean the consequences that you've created are not going to be a difficult road to get back. And so it's really a good idea to head in the right direction to start. Number two, your choices affect the people that are closest to you. So Jonah gets on this boat. He's just with like these other dudes. They don't know who he is. It's like, okay, well, I mean, if you're going to pay the fare, we'll take you to Tarshish. If you want to go to Tarshish. But the other people, they didn't know what was going on. Then the storm hits and they're like, what is going on? Terrified. The Bible says, look, these are people that are on the sea a lot. So if these guys are, are terrified, this is a bad storm. So they're, But they're just like innocent bystanders of this thing that's going on. Like, what in the world? And then they become aware that this storm is happening because of Jonah. But because they're in the same boat with them, guess what? They got to suffer too. All the junk that you got inside of you at one point or another, it's going to get all over everybody else too. There's a lot of examples of this. I think one of the ones you find as a parent more times than not is how your kids will wind up emulating the things that you do. You know, from time to time, I might see one of your kids flipping me off in their car. I realize they learned that from you. <laughs> you know, kids emulate. And so that you've got to be aware that whatever is inside of you that comes out, it's going to wind up affecting other people too. Uh, the most recent thing that happened, and this was a, a big deal. I, I was really unhappy about this. But one of you people in this church talked to my precious little girl about kittens. And just how great they are and cute they are. I'll tell you what, it took me a while to talk her off that ledge. Like, I really had to convince her, like, no, baby, no, they're, they're the spawn of Satan, sweetheart. And like, it's really, we really can't, can't have those little clawed demons around us. It, They'll take your eyes out. I didn't tell her that. I didn't, I didn't go into that. But, but you have to understand that the messed up stuff inside of you is going to affect innocent people at one point or another. And it would be like you having a live grenade and you've got it pulled up against your chest and you've pulled the pen and you've said, well, it's my choice, it's my life, and my sin only really hurts and affects me. But you can't control where the shrapnel's going to go. You don't know how big the explosion is going to be that's going to affect the people around you because sin, sin is like an octopus and it's got tentacles. And as it's pulling you down, it's reaching out and pulling other people with you. 
And some people may justify their lifestyle, their sin, or their habitual secret sin, or their addictions, or whatever it is, and saying, well, it's really only hurting me. Bull. It will always hurt somebody. And typically, it'll hurt the people that are closest to you. And so I've sat across from people, sitting on a couch, tears in their eyes, saying, if I would have only known how this was going to affect my career, my coworkers, if I only would have known how it was going to break my husband's heart, my wife's heart, how it was going to put scars across my kids' souls, if I only would have known, I wouldn't have done it. I wouldn't have gone there. But your choices to run away from God don't just affect you. They affect the people that are around you too. I've seen these sinful lifestyles of people literally take people's lives, destroy marriages, destroy careers, bring families just to ashes because of people running away from God. But this is what I would say. There is hope. There is hope. And he is available. And this is a prayer that I would encourage you. If you know anybody that's running away from God, Because the issue is, the further they get away from God, the harder their hearts get. And there's this prayer in Ezekiel, and God is speaking to Ezekiel. And he says this, he says, God, I will take away their hearts of stone, and I will give them tender hearts instead. And if you know somebody that's running away from God, pray that over God, take away their heart of stone. Give them a heart that is pliable and moldable and tender again to your Holy Spirit that they can just hear your voice again because here's the solution. The solution is this. When you are running away from God, stop and let God's grace catch you. Just stop and let God's grace catch you. I remember when I went into the third grade, I was going from, from Christian school into public school and, uh, and, and I have to say, my Christian school, those are some of the meanest people sucking air that I've ever met in my life at the Christian school that I went to. So I was kind of like relieved when I got to go to public school because I was like, man, the heathens are going to be even nicer than these people. And so I got to public school and I, I got this friend and, and I remember one of the first times we were going out for recess out on the playground. Um, he says, have you ever played uh, play case ch- chase or kiss chase? Kiss chase. I'm like, no, what is that? Like, I've been out of Christian school. Uh, no, kiss chase, man. Kiss chase. This is the way this works, man. You go out, and, and there's, there's, a, there's a bunch of girls, and they chase you. But if they catch you, they kiss you. And I was like, thank you, Lord, for public schools. Like, this is... <laughs> so we're going to play. All right, she's it. I'm like, I want her to be it. Can she be it? I'll... And then so they started chasing you. I'll tell you what, all of a sudden, like, I was the most uncoordinated kid around. Like, couldn't run fast. I was just tripping over blades of grass. Oh, no, I've fallen again. <laughs> you caught me again. I played that game every single time I went out. I would just, like, run around. Y'all want to play Kiss Chase? Kiss Chase? Anybody Kiss Chase? Anybody Kiss Chase? Public schools were a little bit different back when I was in elementary school, you know? I believe if Jonah would have looked over his shoulder at any point, he would have seen the love and grace of God pursuing him with so much fervency that he couldn't have controlled it. 
If he would have just seen, if he would have just stopped, if he would have just turned around, he would have felt the presence of God embrace him. But his heart was, was kind of getting, it was hard. If you read the 48 verses of, of Jonah correctly, you'll see that this is a story of God pursuing Jonah through all of his life. If you get God's heart behind this, because all along, God is speaking to him, sheltering him. He's, he's putting people in his life to protect him. Even the, even, the, even the well, even the fish, that was not God's judgment. That was God's grace. Because without the well, he would have drowned. That was the grace of God pursuing him. Even the fish throwing him up was the grace of God. Because there's only two ways out of a well, people. And there's one's way less present than the... I'm sorry, that was disgusting. But, I mean, it's real. I mean, that is the grace of God. But some people, man, their hearts just get so hard they can't see God's grace in action. God is chasing him. Because God hates to see a life thrown away. He hates it. There's this verse at the end of chapter 1, and it says that Jonah was swallowed by this fish and was in the belly for three days. The very next verse says, and then he prayed. I don't know about you, but if I got swallowed by a fish, it wouldn't take me three days to start praying. Like as soon as I hit the water, I felt that fin coming by me. I'm like, I'm yours, Lord. I am yours, I will do whatever you ask me to do, God. But the fact of the matter is, some people have to be swallowed up before they soften their hearts. Some people just ha- they have to be consumed in the choice they've made and in the sin of their life before they finally decide to cry out to God. Some of us, and it, it really is just because of how individually, uniquely we've been created. You know, strengths and weaknesses of that. Because some of us, like, we soften our hearts when we see the light. It's like, oh, oh, okay, no problem. But some of us only soften when we feel the heat. And for some of us, it takes a lot of heat before we soften. It's, it's apparent that Jonah is in that place. In chapter 2, verse 7, it says this. When I had lost all hope, I turned my thoughts once more to the Lord. And my earnest prayer went to you and your holy temple. I mean, I want you to think about that. The, from, from the belly of a fish to the throne room of God. I mean, could you imagine what it was like in the belly of a fish? Dark and cold. Could you imagine the smell it would smell like a cat. I mean, that's what it would smell like. <laughs> you have no idea what's going on. No idea if there's any in. But he decided to call out to God. Some of you, your life is in that place right now. And you need to know that if you will once again if you will once again call out to God, his prayer or your prayer 
no matter how deep you are, how swallowed up you might be, it'll reach the throne of heaven. It'll reach God's heart. I will never worship anyone but you, for how can I thank you enough for all that you have done? I will surely fulfill my promises, for my deliverance comes from the Lord alone. And then in verse 10 it says, And the Lord ordered the fish to spit up Jonah on the beach, and it did. And Jonah Chapter 3, verse 1 says, Then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time, a second time, a second time. Man, what an awesome picture of God's grace. He's just always giving you another chance, another opportunity. And it won't, always, it won't, it won't just be a second time. In my life, I know God, God has come back to me after the 10,000th time. When I repent. When I turn towards Him. So how do you get back to that place? I think some of us are just, we kind of need like a spiritual starter in our life. A spiritual starter that kind of gets our relationship going back with God again. I remember growing up, we had this old truck, this uh, F-250 Ford diesel truck, okay? And, uh, and that was like the truck we had almost my entire childhood because, you know, diesels will go forever. And we wound up putting 400,000 miles on that truck and, but it was just at one point or another, stuff starts breaking down. So I remember at one point the starter started going out, you know. And, uh, and you know how God just loves giving different things in your life just to keep you humble, you know. Because I remember being a young man and it got to a point where it, it was a standard. So that was good news because if the starter's going out, you can always just roll, roll jump start in. So, but we'd always have to find a hill to park on. Like everywhere we went, like we can't like, hey, dad, can we go over so-and-so? Is there a hill there? No, nope, sorry, can't go because we won't be able to get the truck started again. And so we just always, but there were several times where the hill just wasn't steep enough. And so it'd be me and my brother. And, I, you know, I was like 75 pounds sopping wet and he wasn't much bigger, like on the back of this truck, just trying to push this truck like at church around friends and stuff. And everybody's just kind of looking at us, you know, or, or every once in a while, it would work for a little while where you just open up the hood. And if you bang on the starter with a hammer, it would just get the cogs in the right spot and it would work. But we'd be out there with a hammer, like banging on it. People would be like, hi, man. It's like, hey, starter. But we limped along with that forever until finally... I think like through blood, sweat, and tears, we just asked the dad, can we please just buy a new starter? Please. Uh, And eventually we did. And it was amazing. So cool, like to be able to just get in the truck and start it up. No hill, no hammer. Some of you have been limping along with a broken spiritual starter for a long time. And I think it's good for you to get a new one. And I, and I think this is the way that you do that. You stop now and you say, God, I'm gonna worship you even if I don't feel worthy to worship you. Because worship is not whether or not you're worthy. Worship is actually saying you're worthy. But when you say that, when you say that, it gets you in the presence of the person who's worthy. And he cleans you up. It's such a great place to be. I'm going to worship you. 
and I'm gonna do what you asked me to do. This is the amazing thing. I don't know how far away from God that Jonah had gotten before this storm hit, before he finally said, but it, it, there's a good chance it was at least 1,000 miles, 1,500 miles, 2,000 miles. So he's 2,000 miles away from, and there were consequences of the road back. But, but notice, the moment he repented, no matter what the distance was, the moment he repented, the presence of God was there immediately. And that's what God has for you too. Let's close our eyes, bow our heads. If you're here today and you know you've been running away from God, this could be in a lot of different areas, okay? It could be in, in relation to sin. It could be in relation to a relationship that you have been pursuing or that you've been involved in uh, that you know is, is not godly. It's not biblical. It's not what God would want for you. Uh, it, it could be addiction. It could be finances. It could be that God has been trying to lead you to a place of trusting him or he's asked you to give something to somebody else, but you keep kind of pushing it aside. I don't, I don't know what it is, but here's the fact. The fact is this, all of us, every person in here has run away from God in some area. Every single one of us, there's been an area where we have resisted God's plan and purpose. But for some of us, that resistance is a lot more than, than just a struggle that we're, we're kind of walking through, but still having a relationship with God. For some of us, the issue is you are resisting giving your life to him. You're resisting the conviction of the Holy Spirit that draws us into relationship through Jesus to our heavenly father. If you're here today and you know that you've been running away from God and you are ready to stop, you are ready to stop and let God's grace catch you that's you. Nobody looking around. If that's you, could you put your hand up? I want to pray for you today. Come on, right now, all over this room. I'm tired of running away from God. And as soon as I see your hand, you put it down. Got it, got it, got it. Yes, ma'am. Anybody else? Yes. Yes, ma'am. Anybody else? I've been running away from God. I want to stop and let his grace catch me today. Okay. Anybody else? anybody or not. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Okay. Let me just pray for you. If you raise your hand today, let's get that spiritual starter going. Just say, God, I, I know that I've been running from you, but right now I, I choose to stop and I choose to worship you and you alone. I thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to die on the cross for me. It's only through him that I have a chance of your grace, a chance of your love. But right now I accept that. I believe that you paid the price for me. You rose from the grave. You defeated death. You defeated my sin. And right now, Lord, I, I don't want to just stop where I'm at, but I want to turn back towards you. I turn towards you. And lead me, God, lead me in your path. Give me the grace. Give me the strength. Give me the boldness. Give me the relationships. 
Give me the verse that I need every day, God, to stay in the center of your will and the center of your plan and purpose. I thank you for that. God, I pray that we would be a people that that are just so quick to to sense your spirit telling us like, hey, you're just getting off track and that we wouldn't continue to to deviate and to walk in that place because even if it just seems like it's 1% off over time, that 1% becomes a major gap between us and your perfect will. So God, help us to immediately go back to your presence, to go back to your word, to go back to our community, to go back to our life group, to go back to the people that can give us wisdom and encouragement, God, and get back in track back in the center of your will, your plan and purpose. We thank you for the grace that helps us do that. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Let's give God some praise for his word, for the people that got right with Jesus today, amen.